Friday. It's the 5th of July. I'm Anthony Day and yes, it's another Sustainable Futures Report. Welcome to you all. Welcome to an increasing number of listeners all over the world. This time I'm following up on rare earths, a topic I touched on a few episodes ago. Last month I attended a lecture on this as part of the York Festival of Ideas. I'll start by summarising what I learnt, but I subsequently had the opportunity to meet the presenter, Dr Alice Corvoisier, and the rest of this episode is a recording of our conversation. There's a full transcription of the interview on the blog, thanks to my patrons whose support makes this possible. You'll find the blog at all the W's sustainablefutures.report, as always, and you can find out about being a patron at patreon.com slash sfr, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash sfr. Rare earths appear as rare earth metals or rare elements, and there are about 60 which are used in medical and defence industries as well as the whole range of electronics. While these minerals are relatively abundant, they're not necessarily easy to extract. The CRM Alliance recognises 27 of them as critical raw materials, and the British Geological Survey manages the SOS Minerals and SOS Rare projects. An example is neodymium, which makes powerful permanent magnets, typically used in wind turbines and electric vehicles. A 2-gram neodymium magnet can lift 2 kilograms. Neodymium corrodes rapidly and is not generally recycled. Significant quantities of hazardous waste are associated with the extraction of rare earths, and 90% of the world's production comes from China, which is more relaxed than other nations about environmental controls. Indeed, fear of liability for pollution led to the suspension of rare earth extraction in the United States for some years. Mines have now been reopened, including the Mountain Pass Rare Earths Mine and the Red Dog Mine in Alaska. This latter site emits some 350 kilograms of toxins annually and is surrounded by tailing ponds which will need to be maintained in perpetuity. Materials removed in the course of mining and dumped in spoil heaps are open to the weather which may break them down and release other forms of pollution. The town of Kotzebue, 80 miles south of the Red Dog Mine, which produces zinc and lead, is the most polluted community in the United States. Lithium is well known as a component of batteries. Much of this material is extracted from brine on Bolivian salt flats. The process damages the health of the workers, pollutes the water and destabilises the water table. Tin, tantalum, tungsten and gold may in some cases be easier to extract, but these are the so-called conflict minerals, where warlords, particularly in the Democratic Republic of Congo, fight over their supply. The big users, Apple, Samsung, Google, Nokia, Huawei, Sony and the rest, all claim to avoid conflict minerals, but once they've travelled down the supply chain, been mixed with minerals from other places and processed into components, it's near impossible to know where the original materials came from. Anyway, as I said, I caught up with Alice Cavoisier in a coffee shop a few days after her lecture and asked her to tell me more. 
Dr. Alice Courvoisier teaches mathematics in the Department of Electronic Engineering at the University of York. Working with future engineers has sparked her interest for ethical and societal aspects of science and technology. She's a member of the Science and Technology Studies Unit and blogs at ethicsinstem.blogspot.com. We ended up with a very wide-ranging conversation. Well, Alice, you work in the Department of Electronic Engineering. So why are rare earth metals uh, of concern to you? Because they're used in a lot of high technologies, really, and especially in what we label as green technologies Mm -hmm. and anything that has to do with ICT, um, where there's a lot of electronics involved. Right. Yeah, so we've learned to use all those fancy materials that, you know, 30 years ago we we didn't have any use for. I see. You mentioned there are about 60 of them, although you didn't actually cover all of them in the lecture that we went to. No, so the rare earths, I mean, it's, it's, the terminology is quite complicated. Rare earths, there's, I think, 17 of them. There's the, the whole lanthanide series plus um, scandium and yttrium, I think, the mm-hmm. ones that are just, just above them in the, in the periodic table. Uh, these are what we call rare earth elements. Now, rare metals is another type of classification, and it, it depends where you look. Okay. So it's something quite, quite yeah, different. But what I mentioned is that we use a lot more of the elements of the periodic table than we used, um, you know, 50 years ago, really. Yeah. Now, I think the major points that you made were, first of all, they're rare. That's why they're called rare. Uh, when you find them, they're very difficult to extract because they're not found in their pure form. They're found in compounds, aren't they? Yeah. And I think you, you, all the um, materials that you spoke about are recycled less than 1%. That's right. So, I mean, there's, there's a few things. So, rare earths are actually not that rare in, in terms of abundance on the earth's crust. Yeah. But they're a lot more difficult to extract because, as you said, they're in, in composite materials, and they're also, because they've got very similar chemical properties, they're very interchangeable. So even if you manage to separate the rare earth from the compounds, you need to separate them from each other, which involves a lot more, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what kind of procedures they, they used to do this, but it's, you know, it's a lot more energy and material consuming to do that. Um, but for example, the, I mean, the, the, in terms of abundance, the elements that are the least abundant are like the platinoids, mm-hmm. you know, like platinum and, and, and all those, those metals. But for the, the neodymium, which is the one that used to make very powerful magnets, yeah. as far as I remember, it's as abundant as copper, for example, in the Earth's crust. But it might not be amenable that easily to extraction. Right, okay. So that, that's one of the differences. And the recycling, yes, the recycling is very poor. But mainly because, you know, we use materials and metals in forms that are so much more mixed up and alloys that it takes a lot of energy to actually break that up. Yeah. I mean, you think about a copper wire. Yeah. You just remove the plastic, you're back to the copper. You think of an electronic printed circuit board. Yes. It's a lot more complicated. Yes. And there's a risk, I suppose, that if you actually take an electronic circuit board and you process it to extract the gold, for example, you may destroy some of the other... That's right. So I don't know whether they're able to, you know, in the, the modern recycling processes, how much they're able to extract of all the stuff, or if they just focus on one element and, and move from there. That yeah. I have no idea what the state of the art is. You mentioned the Fairphone, mm-hmm. and that is a modular 
mobile phone. That's right. You said that it was originally designed in order that people could avoid using conflict minerals because some of these materials that we talked about come from, effectively, from war zones, although the supply chain tends to blur exactly where yeah. they came from. So the Fairphone has that objective, but the Fairphone is also modular so that individual parts of it can be replaced That's to right. extend the life. Yeah. But do you know whether they've designed it to the extent that they can actually get individual materials out? No, it's no. too complicated. Yeah. You, yeah, no, it's this is quite. I mean, I, I wouldn't know how they would they would manage to do something like that. So this is the difficulty because we are uh, buying billions of electronic devices every year. Yeah, and you could argue that it's fashion to some extent. Yes, a lot. Yeah. So. Um, so what do we do? What do we do? You, there's another thing you said, that uh, the, the production of these materials um, is doubling every 15 years, I think. Is that right? Yes. Well, at the minute, because consumption is increasing exponentially. Yes. Uh, also because of the need in, in emerging countries, where sometimes they actually don't have the infrastructure for landlines. So mobile phones are kind of the kind of yeah. leapfrog, yeah. The, the need for landlines. Um, but also, I mean, it's not just a, a fashion thing. It's the, you know, it's the pressure of mm -hmm. the companies that are upgrading the, upgrading the software, so the hardware needs to be upgraded, and, you know, all these kind of, of things. I mean, a friend of mine had a, a computer and, and a printer, and when she upgraded the software on the computer, which needed to, to, be, to go to the next supported version, it wouldn't talk to the printer anymore. Yeah. You know, so those kind of things that, you know, we're not helped by companies, really. Yeah, yeah. But I just wonder how realistic... That is a problem because I mean I've got um, I've got computers I've got phones um, my newest uh, item is, is four years old mm -hmm. the others are six possibly eight years old and there are constant software updates and they all continue to work and talk to printers so mm -hmm. um, maybe it's not an apple <laughs> <laughs> mine's an apple oh well. oh yes all my things are yeah, apple yeah. yes yes but um, I fear it's planned obsolescence. Yeah. You heard that phrase. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. 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 But there is, um, I haven't quite looked at that in much detail yet, but in the, in the European law now, um, they're trying to put the right to repair mm -hmm. so that you know, the, the objects are made so that they can be opened and things can be replaced. And, yeah. and they're trying to put that into the legislation. Of course, there is a big cloud on the horizon because a large amount of this material comes from China. This is true. And there is a trade war brewing. Yeah. And that could presumably be a very, very significant uh, bargaining chip. Yeah. I think you mentioned also that they're beginning to um, mine these materials in the States again. That's right, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's because... Okay, so from, from a book written by a French journalist that I've read, there was a, a mine in California that was mining rare earth mm -hmm. elements called the Mountain Pass Mine. Mm -hmm. um, but they had environmental problems, and so they had to, to shut down their operations, I think in the late 90s, yeah. as far as I remember. And then, then everything, and, and same thing with, with a French company, everything was put to China, because the Chinese had the cheap labor, and they didn't mind the, the pollution at the time. Yeah. So then China ended up with 95% of the monopoly on rare earth element productions. Yes. production. And so after that, you know, other countries realized, oops, this is not brilliant because 
I mean, they're used in all our electronics, so they're used in, and, you know, obviously defense stuff as well, for those people that care about, you know, yes, high-tech yes. weapons. Yes. And so, so they want to secure their supply chains, so they yes. end up reopening the mines. Whether they've changed their production methods so that it's more environmentally friendly, I've no idea. But mining well, you, and environment you, you, doesn't go well together. Well, indeed, you spoke about uh, the Red Dog Mine. Mm. You also talked about... Uh, Kotzebue, the town of Kotzebue. That's right. 80 kilometres from the mine, yeah. and yet the worst polluted city in the United States. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've, I've, you know, last summer I was walking in Wales, mm-hmm. in, in a path near the, the Raidal Valley, and there was a sign about how they were managing the pollution still from the lead mine that had been closed, I don't yeah. know how many years before. Yeah. You know, so these these things just stay. Yeah. The the uh, we we think of the, you know, that's something I've understood preparing this is we think of of, you know, the rocks we blow are just just as a pile of rock, but it's not a pile of rock anymore. It's not the same thing. It's it's waste in the sense that it's been blown up to pieces, so there's a lot more surface area of the rock that's exposed and can react with the air, etc. And so it can release elements, like such as thorium, for example, in the case of rare earth mining, that is radioactive, leaches into the element when it was safely stored within the rock that we yes. blew up. So you're saying when, when they do these excavations and they create these spoil heaps, yeah. it they reacts with it. the atmosphere and the weather, yeah. and it goes on, presumably yeah. can pollute the water table and, exactly. and all sorts of things. Exactly. Yeah. It's things, it's things we just do not think about, we just do not know no. about. But we are locked in, aren't we? We're locked into an electronic age. And even if we say, right, well, we're going to keep our phones and um, our computers longer, we can't, I don't think, turn around and say we're going to do without them, can we? Well, I I don't know. But at some point we might not have a choice. Uh, Why? Because... Because we run out of material, because we run out of energy, because... Right. You know, is it likely that we will run out of some of these materials? Well, indium, which is not a rare earth element, but it's you know labelled as a rare metal. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen various you know estimates which can go down up to thirty years. So right. in the matters of decades, and yeah. and indium is what allows your touchscreen to work. Okay, okay, but cannot be so. recycled. Well, it could be recycled, but again, it, you know, the processes are under development and not on an industrial scale yes. that I know of at the minute. Yes. Anyway. Do you know of anybody who is researching uh, recycling of these materials? Well, there are a lot more now. I mean, people, I think, I don't know about in, the, in this country and, and in Europe, but in the States, they do a lot of, of researching and some people manage to find a process that recycles rare earths from... Um, you know, hard drives, oh, right. uh, shattered hard drives, and in Japan they do a lot of research because they don't have the resources. Yes, yes, um, and this is academic research or commercial yeah, research? Yes. Well, yes. there's probably some commercial research yes. as well because yes. people are aware of those those issues. Yes, yes. So it's yeah, it, it's a difficult problem, but I mean, we need to get out of this this you know ridiculous growth and consumer society thing, which just leads us absolutely nowhere. And something I, I didn't mention, but I was somehow, you know, flat screens everywhere. We could do without them, without, you know, harming our lifestyles, really. 
You mean in flat streets flat. in the street and yeah, that sort of exactly. Thing. Yes. And and in in cafes. So I was in the cafe at the university where they have this flat screen with news. Yes. And they were uh, talking about five G coming up in London, and so we were all, you know, all of us presented as consumers who would be so much more happy if we can download Setbox in like seconds rather than minutes. Yeah. Whereas to be honest, most of us wouldn't care. Yeah. All yeah. we want is clean air and clean water. Yeah. And that's not part of the equation. They're happier selling us, you know, circus rather than the important stuff. Yes, yes, yes. So, yes, know. I think you also mentioned that um, you're a bit sceptical of electric cars uh, because we would just end up with electrified t- traffic jams instead of um, petrol-powered ones. Yeah, exactly. One, that, that, I mean, that's, that's one aspect. But that's the aspect that we can't imagine a life without cars. Yeah. And then people who have cars and have been relying on cars for, forever, they just can't imagine. And it's so, you know, if you see the adverts with cars, if it's not with a woman, it's with the nice landscape that you're just going to, you know, escape to. It's not the reality. But it's so tied in our minds with that kind of aspect of freedom to go wherever we want, whenever we want that if you remove the car, you feel like you remove the freedom. So psychology, we're kind of, psychologically, we're kind of locked into this. And obviously, then physically, there's all the infrastructure, all the, you know, the habits and you know, the, the way we work. But I'm not saying electric cars won't have a role to play. I'm just saying that replacing all the cars we have by electric cars is just an impossibility. Yeah, yes, um, yes, yes. So what should we do? What should we do? What's your solution? Sobriety. Right. Well, that has to come first before well, we expand on that a bit. Sobriety. Well, use less, consume less. Yeah. And because there's a lot of stuff we use and we do that we don't really need. Yeah. I mean, do we need wind power to power advertising screens? Well. You know, I mean, do we need to have that many Christmas lights at night? Do the shops need to have their lights on at night? But I mean, if you read the press reports. Uh, Mrs. May has said that we must aim for zero carbon by 2050, and as far as I understand it, uh, the way to it is economic growth. I have to read that in more detail to see if that's exactly what she said, but um, is that the way or not? I'm not an economist, but I don't, I mean, it's, uh, no, I, I honestly don't think it's, it's the way. I think we need to simplify our lifestyles. When they're talking about economic growth, I think my understanding of it, which might be wrong, but that's my understanding, is that they need to generate surplus so that the money generated can be reinvested yeah. into the, the green strand of things. But you look at the industrial strategy, greens mean electric cars, automated transport, which, again, we should all be replanting gardens. Right, so you, you that's, think... That's what we should be doing. You think the current green philosophy is doing exactly what we're doing at the moment, but just doing it in a different way? Yeah. And I mean, to just simplifying the way we live. Yeah. yeah. Consuming less, using less, and holding those companies to account. Yes, yes. That, that are destroying the planet, because we're, we're not... Res- I mean, we're responsible in the sense that we're here now able to do something, but... You know, we're, we're all locked into this ridiculous system that is just destroying the planet. There's no other way to put it. And how realistic do you think it is to change the attitude of people who, for the last generations, have been brought up to believe that uh, consumerism is the way forward, that standards of living must always rise, which generally means more things to be bought and all that sort of thing? How are we actually going to be able to 
create the social change to create the changes that you feel we need? I don't know. It's just yeah. But one I think that's my reaction as well. I don't know either. The first thing is we need to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that Extinction Rebellion have a point with that. The first yeah. thing is, is telling the truth. And it's not just about climate change, it's about telling the whole truth, telling how our culture has basically completely ripped the world mm. and made everyone believe that this was the only way forward to something called progress in big inverted commas. Right. And I think we have realized that that's it, we're done. It's the end of our civilization, it cannot carry on. Mm-hmm. We, we can't refer to some kind of te- technological mythology that, you know, in the future we'll be able to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we need to, to sober up on that aspect as well, not just sober it in our lifestyle, but sober up in, you know, stop thinking we're the business as, as Westerners. Yes. And, and decolonize. Just say, look guys, we've made a mistake. Tell the Chinese and the Indians who are trying to emulate us, saying, look, it's not the way forward. Yeah. We, we're wrong. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that has to be the first step. It's a journey, you yeah. know. I mean, I've I've lived in that system. I've been educated in that system. It it took years to kind of realize that actually, no. Do you think extinction rebellion is the way forward? I don't know, but I think they've done an amazing job at raising awareness yeah. of of the climate crisis, and of engaging a lot of people that were struggling to find where to put, to put their energy. Um, and there is an event coming up in York. Um, Indeed, on, on the, Friday. The, on Friday, yeah. I'll be there. Um, which, which will be you know, well worth attending. And I know that I won't be there myself because I've been Wales already, but okay. um, the, the peop- I know who the people who have been, worked, who have been working on it, and, and it's pretty amazing all the, the work yeah. that has done behind yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but as a movement, I think they need to learn a lot because they're very new. But mm. in the way they've managed to put the energy of the people who have been working on these topics for years together is quite fantastic. Yes. Well, thank you very much for your thoughts on this. It shows that we start with rare earth metals, but it's a much, much wider, um, it's part of a much wider perspective and uh, a lot no, of challenges which we've got right. to deal with. But there was one thing I was, you know, because I was thinking about the, the Congo again. And it's not so much rare earths they're mining as, you know, tin and tungsten and tantalum and these, these, these yeah. things, yeah. The, which could be labelled as rare metals. Um, so there is child labour, there are child soldiers, there is all those issues around this. But in a way, I don't know where is the best, what's the best way to tackle that. I mean, Fairphone have, have built their phone based on willing to raise awareness of, of conflict minerals. But... I wonder whether a better way to tackle the issue would be to work on weapons exportation, which is a completely different topic. Yes. But if they're fighting, it's because we're giving them weapons, yes. or selling them weapons, rather. Yes. Yes. You know, so there's the two ends of the, of the spectrum, and I don't think that end can be dissociated from, yes. from what's going on. Yes. So it's not just an electronic supply chain problem, it's the, you know, the whole rotten system. Let's create conflict, so we can get the minerals for cheaper and sell them the weapons. Yes. So, yeah. Well. Sorry, I did that, but feel free to... <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. I'll, I'll stop it there, I think. Dr. Alice Carvoisier with some profound and challenging thoughts. Thank you very much for that. I hope you find the Sustainable Futures Report challenging and interesting, and I'm always keen to have your comments. In fact, 
If you're a patron, I'm setting up an online discussion so that you can join in and share your ideas. Contact me via the Patreon site, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash s-f-r if you'd like to take part. That's enough for this week. There's a whole raft of stories I could have added and I'm sure there'll be even more next week. I'll be here. I hope you will. Until then, that was the Sustainable Futures Report and I'm Anthony Day. Bye for now.